Amen. Praise the Lord. God is good. Yes, he is. Amen. I say hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Did uh, He saved me. He raised me, filled me with the Holy Ghost, and healed me to the uttermost. Amen. Thank you so much for your ministry this morning. And um, amen. It's good to be here in the house of God with you. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. As you do, I just have some announcements to make as we do that. Pastor McCready and his family are away this week. They are on a well-deserved vacation. Uh, and uh, I know he's probably watching online. Uh, everybody just say, hey, Pastor McCready and Nicole and all the other ones. I don't all the names. I know all the names, but it's just too long to say. But <laughs> we're missing half the church today because McGrady's aren't here. So, uh, so no, we're just happy to... Um, to, to let them go on this well-deserved trip. Another announcement I just want to make is, as you know, we've been doing two services. We've done this for the last few weeks since the beginning of October. We're going to continue that, extend that into the end of the year, uh, just because the, you know, the, the COVID issue is still an issue. Uh, we want to be able to provide space for you to be able to social distance while you're here at the church. Those of you who are watching, and you may not have attended physically here, but just to let you know, uh, we do the two services so that we can create space for you to be uh, enough uh, space apart from others to protect you. So we do want to take that issue very, very seriously. So uh, please know that you're invited to, to be here with us physically. But we are also very, very glad that you're watching us online and appreciate you very much. And if there is anything that you would like for us to know, you can add that to the comments and somebody will be in contact with you uh, to pray with you about a need you have or something you just want to share so, uh, so again, we're going to extend that to the end of the year and then revisit that to see if that will still be something that we'll continue to do after that. But we appreciate your patience with that and willing to help with that. And as, past, as Pastor Autumn shared, we need, we need the help and the volunteers. I know I'm going to tell you right now that as long as I'm not up here doing something, I'm going to help your team. I love doing that. I love greeting people. I enjoy that so much. But I don't know if nobody loves it more than uh, Tony Love. That guy, is he, he and his family are, are like expert greeters. You will be greeted like you've never been greeted before. <laughs> Amen. No, just, uh, but uh, that is a great, great ministry. Um, and tonight, as she said, we have uh, Dan and Carmen Hale. Please come back tonight. You are going to want to be a part of what they're going to share with you. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be a way for you to really connect and partner with what God is doing in a place of the world that really could use our support, our attention, our prayer. So please come back for that. So we are in the book of Acts, chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 21, halfway through 21. We're not breaking any laws by starting halfway through a verse. Um, sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? Uh, but it starts a new paragraph here. I'm going to read that to you. Let's all stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm actually going to read from the English Standard Version, and um, I'm not wearing my glasses. I think we're using the New American on the screen, but why don't you follow along in your favorite translation? It's always fun to do that. Uh, they all say the same thing for the most part, just different words, but it's all the Word of God. Let's Let's read this together. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. This is talking about the, uh, the uh, uh, Peter and John. 
But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in the prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the, with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Just stop right there briefly and say, you know, that's how God works, isn't it? He works in a way that we don't understand, others don't understand, people scratch their head, but we know God did it, right? And that's how God is going to always work in your life so that he gets the glory for it. No man gets the glory for it. And uh, that's, that's a cool story. Verse 27, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostle answered, We must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from whom you killed by hanging him on a tree and exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, and we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. I pray that the Holy Spirit right now would help us to learn it, that You would help us to live it, and You would help us to love it. God, put it deep within our soul. So that it would change the way I think. It would change what I want. And it would change what I do. So that I would become more like you. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So just to catch you up here with what's going on. We're continuing this series in the book of Acts. As we kind of walk through scripture by scripture and... Just to recap, uh, we know that the apostles uh, up to this point have been boldly proclaiming the story of Jesus. And the community of believers is being formed and is getting the attention of everyone. Some, Some really good attention, but also some really bad attention as well because they're making an impact. Because they've never seen anything like this before. And we know also that signs and wonders have been done, right? Up to this point, Acts chapter 5, we've seen healings. We've seen people healed uh, physically, uh, spiritually. We've seen uh, uh, demons, unclean spirits cast out of people. Uh, We've seen jailbreaks, right? Uh, People broken out of jail. We see this in this story. Uh, We also see that God is adding and he's multiplying the number of people to the church. They went from just 120 to now they're in the multiple thousands in just a few weeks and a few months. That's powerful, isn't it? That that God is moving in this way in these first five chapters. But we also see that the apostles have been arrested twice already, that the religious officials, they were filled with jealousy. And so we're going to see this theme carried out through the rest of the book of Acts, and we're going to talk a little bit more about it today in this message as well. 
But leading up to this story in verses 20 and 21, take, back, take a look again and look at verses 20 through 21, and we see what happened here is that they, the apostles were in prison, but the angel of the Lord came to them and commanded them to go and stand in the temple to speak to the people all the words of the life, and they did exactly that. And so now they're in the temple They're preaching. The angel of the Lord set them free. We don't know how because the doors were locked. The guards were there. I don't know, right? You may scratch your head like, what did God do? I don't know. I don't know what happened in this miracle. All I know is that they they were in jail before, but now they are out of jail, and they're boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in the text that we read today, I want to give you this morning three very important takeaways that uh, if you're taking notes today, um, these are three things that I, I think this text really wants you to know for your life and for your ministry. Uh, and this is going to be very, very important. The first takeaway that I get from this story, and by the way, we're going to kind of work backwards here through the text that we read. So, uh, so, so just, just be mindful of that. But the first takeaway is that the gospel, the gospel was the primary central message of the early church. They, they weren't promoting any kind of politics. They weren't uh, promoting any other idea. They were, I mean, it's, it's, very, it's very organized here, but their purpose, their message was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you see this from the very first chapter, um, chapter 1, verse 8. You remember that the Lord, before he ascended, he said to them, he said, listen, I'm going to go away, I'm going to go up, but go and wait for my gift so that this gift that I give you is going to be my power so that you can be witnesses. You can go and tell the gospel, and you're going to go to Jerusalem, which was the city they were in. Judea was the region they were in, uh, and uh, J- Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria was the next area, that, uh, next the region that they were in. And then he said where? To the ends of the what? earth, right? He said, I'm gonna, you're going gonna to take this message, this gospel, and you're going to go all the way to the ends of the earth. And I have been, I have not been to the ends of the earth, but I've seen it from where I was, right? It was very far remote where I was. And I've seen that the gospel of Jesus Christ is going there. By the way, I'm wearing, I don't know what they call this, but it's the, uh, it's one of the formal outfits of what you would wear if you were in Burma, Myanmar. And that's, that's what, what I'm wearing today. And the last time I wore this, I was, I was in the hill country of Thailand, out in the middle of nowhere. I, couldn't even, I can't even find it on a map, way out there. And I was on top of this mountain, and there was a church on top of this mountain. And in this church, there was one group that was wearing some outfit that was decorated in one way, and there was another group of people that was wearing an outfit decorated in another way, symbolizing two different people groups. And a few years passed, these people groups, they were fighting each other. They were, some were killing each other. They were killing one another. You know, they were fighting, but the gospel of Jesus came to this area, this place of the world. And today, now, rather than them fighting and hurting one another, they are worshiping one another and serving one another in the church. And I got to preach to those two groups of people, and it was a beautiful, beautiful presentation of how the gospel will break down any wall of hostility. Do you understand? You understand? That's why in a group we can get together and rally around Jesus because he's tore down every wall but between all of us, right? I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat, if you're white or black or rich or poor. All I know is you love Jesus and I love Jesus and I love you and you love me, right? And that's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then um, we know that throughout the book of Acts, 
which is the historical record of the early church, that preaching the gospel occurs more in this book than any other book of the New Testament. And one-third of the book of Acts is a, are speeches that are mostly of that are mostly Peter and Paul preaching the gospel. So if you want to know how to preach the gospel, a good a good manual is to go to the book of Acts and you will find out what is necessary in ministering the gospel. Acts chapter 2 there is a sermon of Peter preaching the gospel. When the, Remember, the Spirit of God was poured out. They received fire and wind and tongues and began to uh, speak in unknown tongues. And then Peter stands up and preaches the gospel, and thousands were saved on that event. Then we get to Acts chapter 3. We know that Peter preaches again uh, after the lame beggar was healed. Remember the song? He went jumping and leaping and praising God. That was the miracle where this, le- this uh, lame man was healed, and then Peter stands up before everyone and tells the people how he was healed, why he was healed, and who healed him, which was Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 4, we read about Peter. He is preaching the gospel to the high priestly family after being arrested. Now, you think after you were arrested for preaching the gospel, you would shut your mouth, right? But that did not happen because Peter's central message, his primary message of his life was the gospel, and he refused to allow anything or anyone to keep him from ministering that powerful, important message. And then, of course, we get to Acts chapter 5. So here we go. Acts 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Again, we have another presentation of the gospel here in this message. And here I will tell you, too, that, that not only is the gospel message, not only for the early church, was it their primary, most important message of their life, but that has not changed to today. Today, too, that it should be in your life, in my life, the gospel should be the primary, most important message of our life. And this is important because there are many other messages that the world wants you to pay attention to. There are many people trying to promote their ideas. There are many people trying to promote their politics. They want you to give them attention. They want you to buy into their message. They want you also to promote their message. But church, I'm asking you today, do not be distracted distracted by all of the noise and all of the influence that exists in the world today. We have to stay focused that the gospel message is our primary purpose and the reason why you and I are still here today is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me just make that point here is that I honestly believe that when God saved you, he saved you because he loves you. He does. Jesus loves you. The Bible tells you so, right? It's a song, but it's real. Jesus really does love you and he saved you because he wanted you to enjoy him. He wanted to be your father. He loves you that much. He created you. Uh, he, he created you for him. But listen, and he's preparing a place for us. But if God saved you because he loves you, why didn't he take us out of this rotten world that we live in today? And there's a reason for that. It's because Jesus still desires to love you. And yes, you and I one day will get to uh, go to that place that he's prepared for us and live with him in eternity. But while you and I are here today, God desires for you and I also to make the gospel message the central message and the purpose of why you and I are still living in this world today. 
We have to be careful, though, that we don't let the distractions, especially in this political climate, divide us or take our attention away from what God has called us to do. The message that you and I have is the most important message in the world. It's the most powerful message in the world. It's more powerful than any politician, anything a politician is going to say. You know, some of you over these last few weeks have listened to the different politicians and you've, uh, you've paid attention because you're going to have to go and you're going to have to vote. And don't worry, I'm not going to promote a politic here behind this pulpit, except I just please ask you, please, everyone, please vote for Jesus. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we want to vote for, uh, for Jesus. But uh, listen, a, a, a politician is going to try to get you to say, this is what I believe is going to fix all the problems and issues in the world. You're going to have celebrities that are going to try to tell you that you need to think this way. You need to act this way. You need to do this. You need to dress like this. You need to look like this because they want you to buy in to their message. You're going to have people of power and influence that try to get you to think like them. They're going to try to push this on you because they want you to, to buy into what they're trying to sell you. But we have to remain focused that it's the gospel message that is the only message that will truly fix the world's problem. It's the gospel message that is the only message that is the power of God for the salvation of the world. And we have to stay focused on that message. One of my favorite texts, I say it every time I'm in this pulpit, and I hope I always say it when I'm in this pulpit, is Romans 1.16, where he says, For I am not ashamed of what? Of the gospel, the good news story of Jesus. Because it is the power of, it is, it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. I promise you, there's no political side that's going to be able to fix the issues of our nation. But what will fix the issue of our nation is when you and I will go and tell somebody the good story of Jesus and they believe and they turn to Christ. That will be the solution for all of the world's problems. I truly, strongly believe it. And like Sister Autumn says, she said, listen, now is the time we're getting close. And I believe that too. I believe that God is stirring us. He's stirring me. He's putting something in my spirit that is pushing me to want to go and tell this story more and more to as many people and as often as I possibly can. And I believe that's the spirit of God saying, my time is very short. I don't want a family member. I don't want a friend and I don't want a neighbor. And I don't want a city to perish without having the opportunity to hear the good story of Jesus' love and salvation. To me, the gospel message is, is the primary message of our life. And this is the best thing you can do for your children. If you're a parent today... The best way to raise your children is to raise them with the knowledge of the gospel, to pray the gospel, to proclaim the gospel, and to live the gospel. I could bring my children here, and I'm not going to boast, but I am because of my kids, and I love them. Uh, but um, <laughs> my kids, we, they, they can tell you the gospel message. There's a little track called The Gospel in 60 Seconds, and they've memorized that track. They go out with me, right? Uh, uh, Justin and Liz, my kids, they go out with me, and they, they pray with people, and they know the gospel. And I'm so excited that my children, they're excited about the gospel. If I don't let them come with me on a Saturday morning, they get really upset with me. You know, but they love going out, and, and I'm so happy. And you can do that too. 
You can do that too. You can raise your children if there's the, anything your children need to know. I mean, sure, you want them to have a great education. And yes, you desire for them uh, to have skills in life. But let me tell you, even more important than that is that you would teach your children to how to pray, how to proclaim, and how to live the gospel. It will save their life. And God will use that child to bring uh, salvation to all those around them. Isn't that cool? It is cool. The best thing you can do for your marriage is to have a gospel-centered marriage that, whose uh, purpose is to proclaim the gospel in their, in their, among their family, workplace, and community. There will be a power for your marriage. You know, if you're, if you're thinking about getting married and you're engaged with someone or you're praying for that special someone to pray, God, send me someone that I can, I can minister the gospel with. Or if you're married here today and you have a spouse and maybe there's, 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 there's uh, energy that's pushing you apart, but get together. Husbands, I pray to take the lead. But if the husbands won't take the lead, wives, take the lead and say, hey, listen, let's pray. Let's ask God to use us to bring salvation to our family, to our workplaces, and to our community. And I tell you, when you begin to pray in that way, then God begins to give your marriage a power that you've never seen before. And the power that was pushing you away will now be a power that will pull you together that'll save you a lot of money in counseling but it's true when you base your marriage on the work of the gospel you can offer your home and say this house that we live in that God has blessed us with you know that I can or cannot afford but God I just pray that this house that you bless me with that you will use this home you will bless this house and in this house your gospel will be proclaimed that we will use our house to be a sanctuary not a place where we put up windows to the world to attract Satan and all his activity but a place that we can walk into and the peace of God exists and it's a place where we can worship Jesus but it's a place we can invite our neighbors to and our family to and when they walk in they say something is different about your house and you can say let me tell you what is different the holy spirit is here you can offer your home as a place where the gospel is proclaimed and when you do when you start to focus and you begin to say god i want to devote my life to bring in this gospel message then you will sense a new power in your life i know it the bible says it we see examples of it i can tell you stories all over the world of it and a power will come upon your life that you've never seen or known and it's a glorious power from above so how do I do that, though? How do I? Some will say, Pastor Chris, I want to be that way. I love the gospel. It saved me. I'm a new person because of it. But how do I proclaim the gospel? How do I share the gospel of Jesus Christ? And that's a good question. Can you guys put up um, Acts chapter uh, 30, verse 33? Is that possible? Look at that. That is cool. Amen. <laughs> Amen. But if, if you go back and look at, Reread everybody else. Take, take a look back at your text, though. Look back at your, your scriptures and look at Acts chapter 30 uh, through verse 33. Just kind of pray through it, skim over it. And, and, and you're going to find out that right there is a little package. And that's, that's a, a package of the gospel. The gospel message is packed right into verses 30 through verses 33 in a way that maybe you don't even see the full gospel in the rest of the text. But that's a beautiful place. Take it, mark it in your Bibles, because that's a good text for you to use. 
news when proclaiming the gospel because it says that God raised Jesus from the dead, right? And that is basically saying that the curse of death has been broken over a person's life, that people's lives are broken, people's lives are in disarray because the power of death exists in the world today. But through the resurrection of Jesus, now we have victory over that. And through Jesus, we can have victory over death. It says that, that, um, that you killed on a tree. That, uh, that, that, that man is a sinner and man is hostile to God. That man says, you know what, God? I know you made me. And I know you made me for you and I exist for you. But you know what? I want to do what I want to do. I want to live the life that I want to live. And, I, and, and so if I need you, I'll call you, right? That's called sin. And when, and when that exists in your mind and in your heart and will, then that is what pull, pulls you away from God because God created you with a free will. And you need deliverance from that because I promise you, friend, your plan will not save you. Your plan will destroy you. God's plan will always save you. Your plan will always lead to death, but God's plan will always save you. And it says that Jesus died on a cross. And that's basically saying that Jesus made the payment for your and my sin. Right? When Jesus died on the cross, that was the payment. Somebody had to die for your sin. And he, God didn't want you to die for it. God says you can't die for it because you can't offer a sacrifice worthy enough to be redeemed from it. But God says my son can because my son will live a sinless life. He will come to this earth. He will die in your place as a substitute. Isn't that beautiful? That you don't have to die for your sin. God did it for you. And it says that he, he, Jesus is at the right hand as Savior and head, that Jesus is above all. It says that he gives repentance and forgiveness of sins, that through Christ, our sins are forgiven, and he gives us a new life. Who has that testimony this morning? That when Jesus came into your life, you became a new person. That's my story. That is my story. If you had known me before, I was as rotten as y'all get out. You would look at me, and I would stink when I'd walk by. Oh, what was that that just walked by? But Jesus saved my soul. He saved my soul. First service, I told him, I don't know why, because most people are saved and they didn't know better. And they come to Jesus and like, oh, thank you, God. But I knew better. My parents were good parents. They brought me to church. They told me the way. And I, and I still rebelled against God, even when I knew better. And so why in the world would God save somebody who knew better? But he did. And he saved me. And he forgave my sins and gave me a new life. And he'll do that for you. And we are witnesses, the Bible says. We are a firsthand witness to the life and power of Jesus. Listen, God, there was a point where Jesus became more than mom and dad's God to me. It was a point where he became more than the church's God to me. There was a moment in my life, I can tell you the day and time when it was, when I was like, oh my goodness, Jesus is real. <laughs> I met Jesus. He saved my soul. And I knew that God was more than just the head of a religion. He encountered me. And that was the time when I surrendered my soul to Jesus and I was born again. Anybody got that story? Where Jesus became more than just somebody's religious Godhead to you. Where he became a real living God and you knew he was real. And then he gave us his spirit. Today I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone. Because I'll tell you, even as a saved soul, you can ask my wife. Don't ask my wife. That there are times when I can get grumpy. I can get cranky. You know, and I don't want to do anything for God. Right? But then I'm like, God, here I am, Jesus. I know I'm your child. And I really don't want to do anything for you. But I need your Holy Spirit to fill me full. 
And God fills me full and changes my mind and shifts my focus. And God says, I'm not going to leave you, Chris. I know what it's going to I walked in your shoes. I know how hard it is. And the Spirit of God comes into my life. Amen. I can preach this all day long. There you go. There's the gospel. It's in a nice little package for me. You got that? Yeah. So everybody can do it. Everybody can preach that important message. But again, let's pray as a church and as believers. God, use me. I want the gospel to be the primary purpose of my life. I want to live it. I want to pray it. And I want to proclaim it. Can that be your prayer? Can that be the prayer of Riverstone Church? You know, that's what we're doing with the, um, with the, the, uh, the trunk or treat. You know, it's, it's kind of weird to me. I've never been to one, I don't think. But, you know, but hey, it's cool. We get to set up our cars, and we get to put candy in it and decorate it, and kids from the community can come out, and they can see that we're, we're harmless. We're not some weird cult in the building, right? And they can <laughs> you know, come and encounter us and know that we're friendly people that love the community, and then we can tell them about Jesus, Right? That, that is how we pray and live and, and preach the gospel so you can be a part of that. That is one easy way that you and your family can say, God, bless, thank you for my car. I know others maybe have a better car, but you know what? I'm going to use this car that you gave me. I'm going to open up its trunk or its hatch, and I'm going to put candy in there, and I'm going to let the community know I love them. Right? You could do that. We could all do that. Amen. Takeaway number two, because I got to get going. I can, I can sit there for I love the gospel. Mm, it's good stuff. Tony does too. Thank you, Tony. <laughs> Takeaway number two is that others will try, though, to stop the gospel. Others will try to stop the gospel. Look at verse 28. It's kind of funny, though, the way it's, it's stated, but here are the religious officials, and kind of get the picture here that the apostles are in front of them, and here are the religious officials, and they're trying to bully the apostles here, and they're like, we strictly charged you not to teach in his name, right? That just sounds funny to me. Yeah, <laughs> here they just uh, disobeyed them, and God moved and set them free, and now they think they have authority over these men, but these men are like, no, 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 wait a minute, I don't know who you think you are. But he says, you strict, oh, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with all your teaching. Let's fill Charlottesville with all the teaching of Jesus. Can we do that? Amen. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Let me just stop right there and tell you what happened this week. Some of you are a part of it. Some of you prayed for it from your very homes. You know what we did though this week? We went to over a thousand homes in around uh, this area, in our community, and we exalted the name of Jesus Christ in over a thousand homes by praying for their homes and hanging in a door hanger. Isn't that cool? That we exalted Jesus. I, I got, Jesus was, was, was smiling over that because that's the plan of God. He wants, to be, he wants to exalt the name of his son Jesus over every soul in our city. And, and, and God is moving in our city. But here we have the religious officials or just the authorities, the people, right? They said, no, 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 you cannot, you cannot. I know you have this gospel and good for you, but you cannot proclaim this gospel. You can't bring this message to Jerusalem. And so they, 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 uh, they did what's called persecution. You've heard that word before. Everybody say persecution. 
And persecution now, persecution in general, anybody can, any group of people can be persecuted. Uh, and basically that is uh, being bullied or being oppressed by another group of people to kind of uh, oppress you or push you down so they can lift themselves up. But persecution in the text or in the scripture is a little bit different in the sense that what we see in the text is that, um, that, that among those who were preaching and living the gospel, um, for their purpose in life, they were being, they were being stopped or they were being uh, suppressed uh, because of the power of the gospel. And we still see that today in areas all around the world that, that, uh, that people are being stopped. They're saying, no, you can't preach this gospel because this gospel, if we know how powerful it is, we know how attractive it is, we know that if you preach this gospel, it'll change our society and that it'll change the way we govern the world. It'll change our traditions. And, and the gospel is such a threat because the gospel is so powerful. And once it penetrates, once it engages a society of people, it transforms a community, right? We already saw that, that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of the earth. And so they know, some others know the power of the gospel. And we'll talk about uh, how Satan interferes. But the way they do that, the way they persecute, the way I have seen persecution exist around the world is in three ways. And let me just state that I don't know persecution. You don't know persecution because the only way you and I can really know persecution is to experience it ourselves. And tonight, if you come to our prayer meeting, you'll listen to some of those stories of folks who are are treated, mistreated in this way because of their faith in Jesus. But if you're taking notes, the first way persecution exists is through threatening and intimidation. Threatening and intimidation. And now this form of persecution is the most powerful form of persecution. And I'm not going to go in too much detail because I don't want to take up too much time this morning. I want to get to the point. But let me just say that in our society, I know it works because... Because today, even though there's no one really in position of power necessarily saying, you better not preach the gospel, but there is a society sort of norm that says, listen, you are not allowed in our culture or in our society to promote your message or push your message on anyone. Now, everybody else can promote their message and it's okay. Right. Everybody else can say live like this, dress like this, act like this, be with this kind of person. But when it comes to the gospel, everybody says, no, that's how you know the gospel's true. Every other message is accepted. But the gospel message in this society, if you do it, you will be ridiculed. You will be bullied. You may lose your job. You may not get your promotion. You may be bullied by a teacher. Your neighbors may say things about you to other people. Your family may tell you never come by anymore. You follow me this morning? Right? And everybody's saying you can't talk about this in this setting. And I can can tell you as things progress, as we get closer to the end, you're going to see this more and more in our society. Where even some of the the, those people in positions of power will tell you you can't do that. That's how we know the gospel's true. All other messages are accepted. I'll tell you a real funny story. Here, I, do, I work in a job where I get these stories every day. Everybody tells me about officials and political officials trying to stop the gospel and people being in prison and so forth. And it's heartbreaking. But in our society, the other day, we were doing this. We were hanging the door hangers. And one HOA president of one of the communities we were in, not naming a community, going to be nice, 
called and said, you can't do that in our community. That goes against our bylaws. Now, I was like, oh, I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> I felt like one of those believers in Egypt, right? <laughs> that were being scolded by the, the, the religious Muslims. <laughs> I mean, at first that was my reaction because that's how I'm trained to react, right? And then it hit me. This lady's an HOA president. She can't tell me I can't promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because, yeah, yeah, they may say stop, but my Bible tells me I got to go. Right? Jesus doesn't say stop. Jesus says go. You know, and so I was like, I'm going to take you to this HOA president. I'm going to, mm. right? No, it wasn't the right attitude. That wasn't how I acted. But I did pray. And I say, God, give us wisdom. Give us, because we're not there to offend people. We're not out in these communities to hurt them. We want to help them. We love them. We probably love them better than their HOA president loves them. <laughs> Everybody's got their own idea of what an HOA president's like, don't they? All right, moving on, moving on. Another way, though, another way that persecution exists is through imprisonment or assault, physical abuse. And we see these stories. And again, I, I mean, I don't want to stop here too long. This is not really the, the purpose of the message today, but you need to be aware. You need to know that horrible abuses take place all around our world. Sister Autumn has some stories that will break your heart. That will break your heart. I have some stories that will break your heart. And people are put in prison and people are, are, um, are tortured in prisons and people are, 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 are harassed uh, all over the world. There are 200, and based, according to the stats on Open Doors, 260 million people today live in a high level of persecution, meaning that they are in a place where persecution exists, where it's common, it's expected, it's probably going to happen in some way or form. That one in nine people that live in these areas will experience imprisonment or torture. It's hard to imagine. Look at the people in this room. You know, I'm not sure how many people are here right now, but one, every one in nine of you, if you lived in one of those places you would know are going to experience mistreatment and abuse because of your faith in Jesus. In 2019, 9,000, uh, almost 9,500 buildings, Christian buildings, were attacked or destroyed. It's hard to believe. You didn't hear that in the news, did you? Yeah? I don't know why Joe Biden or President Trump didn't talk about that. Two, <laughs> 2,000... 900 Christians were killed for their faith in 2019. And right now, at this moment, there is an estimated 3,700 Christian believers that are sitting in prisons that will not get a fair trial, may not even get a trial right now as we sit in our chairs and talk about what is going on. It is a real, real situation. Now, I'm going to make it a little bit lighter, though, because I was in a meeting with a ministry leader in an area of the world this past week that experiences high level of persecution. And he has a Bible college right in the middle of one of these areas. And he says, at my Bible college, I train men and women how to preach and teach the gospel. He says, but when they leave my Bible college, I know that they're not fully trained unless they get persecuted. So he says that he is, he does, they don't pray for persecution. 
persecution. But he says when persecution comes to one of their students uh, who was out doing ministry, they rejoice because they know that now this student is ready and is grounded to be able to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That makes you go... Imagine if we told today, hey, yeah, God's kind of calling you in your life to go and preach and teach. Who'd like to be, do that? And everybody's like, yeah. I said, okay, well, you know, you're going to get persecuted eventually. They know they're going to get persecuted. All of our partners say, listen, Chris, we know it's a part of our life. I mean, we don't even, we really think about it, but we don't think about it. We just kind of, in the back of our mind, know it's going to happen. And we knew when we accepted Christ, we knew when we were baptized that this was going to happen. We counted the cost before we said yes to Jesus because we know the cost of following Christ. It is a real issue that exists around our world today. And then, of course, the last way that others stop the gospel. And let me just say, that rarely works. Imprisonment and beating. I have never seen, I'm trying to think, um, I hadn't had a chance to talk to Sister Autumn about this. It could work. It may work. But it rarely works stopping the gospel from being preached. It almost is like a new energy when somebody is persecuted for their faith. Rather than it discouraging them and saying, I ain't not gonna preach gospel anymore, they almost come and say, yes, I was persecuted. And there's almost like a new energy that God gives them to preach the gospel even more boldly, even more fearlessly than before. You know why? Because Jesus says, listen, if you are persecuted on behalf of me, great is your reward. He said, rejoice, right? And be glad because great is your reward. There's something, I can't explain it. Like I said, I haven't experienced it. But there's something that's joyful of knowing that somebody mistreated you because you stood up and proclaimed the gospel. One thing is uh, Revelations 2 says there's a crown of life for those who've been in prison for the gospel. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Right? A crown of life because you stood up and you said, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to proclaim God in an area of the world where people were against you and treated you badly. But this was Peter's response and the apostles' response to others stopping them from preaching. Look at verse 29. This is a key verse. This is the verse where you underline. This is the verse where you go, hallelujah, amen. All right? So I'm expecting it. All right? But look at verse 29. Read it to yourself. But Peter and the apostles answered, what? We must obey God rather than who? Man. That's it. That's an easy, simple answer to all the problems in life you're going to (laughs) face. I must obey God rather than put a name to it. I must obey God rather than put an organization to it. Put a name of a company to it. Put a name of a school to it. Put a, put a name of a government to it. I must obey God rather than that is the answer to your life. You and I, we must obey God. And if they say stop, Jesus says what? Go. God saved you and gave you this gospel message because God has a plan for you to go. And this brings me to my last point, takeaway number three. It says, takeaway number three says, nothing can stop you from doing what God has called you to do. Let me say it one more time. Listen, nothing can stop you from doing what God has called you to do. Look, Look at verse 22. Look at it with me. 
He says, but when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside and someone came, verse verse 25, and someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Why? Because the angel of the Lord came to them while they were in their prison, while they were chained up, while there were walls all around, while there were gates, while there were soldiers outside the gates, that while they were completely, completely incapable of doing what God has called them to do, but an angel of the Lord came and said, I didn't call you to stop. I didn't call you to stay in jail, but God has called you to go and teach in the temple. And God miraculously just worked out whatever was whatever what was, um, was trapping them and keeping them from doing what they were supposed to do. Like I said, I mean, we didn't see any gates open and we didn't see any guards fall out and faint. We didn't see like lightning bolts from above. We don't know. We don't know what happened. We just know God did it. And that's how God will do it in your life and in my life. Listen, if God has called you to do something, then God is going to make a way, right? The song, the old song, God will make a way where there seems to be no way, right? He works in ways you cannot see, but he will make a way for me. That's good. That's a good song. And that's the song you can sing whenever you find yourself in a prison-like place. You can say, God will make a way for me. Listen, God has called you and I to build his kingdom. God has called you to take that gospel message that lives inside of you and to bring that to the world that you live in. Now, we have a class, and you come, and you take a gifts assessment, and that gifts assessment tells you what gift God has given you, and God has given each of you a gift that you can serve one another right here in this local church, and that's good, because when I come to church, I want to build you up. When you come to church, you want to build me up, because that's what church people do. We build each other up. Because we have to go out of this church. We don't stay in this church more than a couple of hours a week. We have to leave this church and we have to go into a world that's telling us, stop. But you and I have this message living inside of us that God wants to recharge you on a Sunday morning and to push you out of that door to tell you that as soon as you exit that parking lot that you are going into the mission field. You are traveling to your pond, meaning that God has saved you because he loves you, but he saved you because he knows there is a pond that he wants you to fish, meaning that you and I are called to be fishers of men. Every one of us are called to be fishers of men. And God has put people in your your life. They are your family. They are your neighbors. They are your co-workers. They are your classmates. They are people you see often. They are people that are in your pond that God has assigned to you to go and fish. You have that calling. Now, all of a sudden, I'm saying that you're like, well, you don't know my situation, Pastor Chris. Right now, I don't think I could go and tell anybody anything. Come on. And they're they're saying, no, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. Because like I've just shared with you, that you have this calling. And I'm asking you, church, at at this church, at this church, this is what's different. I'm not saying anything bad about any other churches. But this is the church that we live in. This church is a church where we are going to encourage you and push you to seek your calling and your role in the gospel. 
God may use some of you to write. God may some of you to do, lead you to do some local church work. He may call you to do media. One of the best ways, one of the ways that we are reaching the masses today is through media. There are people that are coming to faith in some of the most closed countries in the world because of media. And some of you have this desire, I want to do media. And that's the calling of God has on your life to reach those. God has called some of you to do community outreach to go with us on Saturday mornings where we knock on doors and, you know, we talk to people, we pray for people. But God has a calling on your life to reach the lost. He desires for you to take that message that's inside of you and to share it because when you do, there's going to be a power with it and people are going to come to Jesus through it. But Satan will try to stop you. Satan will try to stop you. Here's another scripture that I read at every sermon. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. You know the scripture. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen, yeah, they may be political governments. They may be bosses. They may be family members. And I know it looks like it's them who are attacking you. It looks like it's the person who's attacking you. But I'm here to tell you, it's not the person who's trying to stop you. It is the devil because he knows even better than you know that there's something living inside of you that will change the world. And if he can just keep you from letting that out, if he he can discourage you, if he can distract you, if he can divide you, then he will keep that message inside of you. And all along, those people in your pond will go to hell. And that is what his plan is. That is his plan. And he will try to imprison you like real prisons, but he'll try to sometimes throw you in what we call life prisons. He'll let things, he'll, he'll cause things to happen to you. He'll cause a crisis to happen to you. He'll cause a relationship crisis, a financial crisis, a moral failure. He'll try to cause uh, emotional crisis, even a spiritual crisis where, where you're somebody that you're close to in the church may hurt you. He'll do everything he can to throw you in a prison-like place to make you feel like you do not deserve or you're incapable of preaching the gospel because of all of this that's happened to you and you look around and you're like I want to do something for God but Pastor Chris you don't understand my situation and I'm not trying to be insensitive this morning because I've heard of all kinds of prisons and I've had to stand with many many people to tell those gates to, to fly open but I'm here to tell you this morning no matter what prison you find yourself in today I know that the God we serve is the God who breaks people out of prisons I had an uncle that had, a, that had a business, and he had people that worked with him that, um, you know, on the weekends would have a good time, and then some of them would go to jail <laughs> on Sunday. And one of, his, one of his jobs was to go on Monday morning and to get them out of prison. And I would say to him, Uncle, why do you do this? They deserve to be in prison. And he says, because I've got work for them to do. Now, that may be a horrible example, <laughs> but I'm here to tell you today, that God does not have any plan to keep you in a prison. He does not have any kind of plan to keep you in the trauma or in the crisis that's trapped you today. 
Now, he may use it to teach you and, 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 to, and to bring things out of you, but he has no plan whatsoever to keep you in the prison because this book that we're reading in Acts is a book about God breaking people out of prisons, and he broke them out of every single prison that they got themselves into. The only the last prison is Paul, but he's in prison, but in his prison, he's writing letters, and those letters are going outside of the prison, and those letters are encouraging and teaching and training more people to preach the gospel, and you and I today have those letters because Paul refused to allow his prison to control him and tell him what he could not do, but he said, I don't care if they say stop, I'm going to go. I know I may be in a situation that I may be trapped by something that's happened to me, but I know God's word says that I can speak to a mountain, and if I tell that mountain to go, that mountain has to go. Because God's got no plan to keep you in prison. Let's go ahead and close, man. Father, this morning, this church was founded. This church was founded because you had a plan to, to, for us to come together, to love each other, to encourage each other, to help each other find one another's gifts and callings. But God, you, your plan is so much bigger than just a few Bible studies and just a few worship service. Your plan is so much bigger than that. For God, when you see Riverstone, when you see this local body of believers, what you see are people, are people that you can use to bring out to, uh, to Jerusalem, Judea, to Charlottesville, to Rutgersville, Lord, to Nelson County, to Greene County. Lord, to, to, to Louisa, to Flavanna County, to Culpeper County, what you saw, God, was a place that your people, Lord, would be unleashed, set free to go and bring your gospel. Listen, this morning I'm going to do two altar calls. The first one is, the first one is, is I want you right now to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and say, Holy Spirit, I want to know what you've called me to do, how you've called me to bring the gospel, to bring the gospel. And I want you to say, I, I commit my marriage, I commit my family, Lord, that we're going to be a family where the gospel message is primary. I'm going to give this to you, Jesus. And I also want you to write down, I want you one or two names, three names. Say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Who, who are you working in that is in my pond? Who is in my place of influence? That, Lord, you are working in their life and you want, you want, to, you want them to come to the knowledge of you. Can you just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you right now? If you have a way to write that down, write it down. Or There's some pens there in the back if you want to go in the back and grab a pen. But you're saying, I am serious about winning, winning these people to Jesus. I'm going to pray. I'm going to take the next week, days, and I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to move in their life. And also, I'm going to invite them to church because the gospel is going to be preached at every service Riverstone has. We're going to tell the story of Jesus Christ, and they're going to have the opportunity to say yes to God. So I'm going to invite them. And if I don't feel comfortable inviting them, I'm going to ask my pastors to help me with that. Amen. That's the first altar call. That's cool, isn't it? That's good. You got those names? 
All right, the second altar call this morning. If you're here today and you may say, Pastor Chris, I hear what you're saying. And man, it's stirring in me, Pastor. It is stirring in me. I want to see my family, my neighbors, my friends, my coworkers. I want them to come to Jesus. God, I want to go to the ends of the earth. I want to do all these things that you're saying. I know the gospel lives in me. I know the gospel saved me, but I am trapped. I am in like a prison today. Things have happened to me. And I'm in a place today where I need to be set free. I want to be at a place where I can lead my family, where I can train up others, where I can be a part of what you're doing on Saturdays. I want to be at that place, but right now I'm trapped. Something I've allowed in my life, and I am in like a prison. With every head bowed and every eye closed right now, if that's you this morning, and you're ready to be free. I'm telling you, there's a power in place right now. I know that God's going to set you free. God's going to set you free. If that's you today, and you're saying, I'm ready to be free, I want you to, by faith, slip your hand up, not to me, but to God. Right now, one, two, three. Amen, amen, amen. Anybody else? Amen. You're saying, I'm ready to be free. I'm ready to be free. I'm ready to do what God called me to do. Amen. I see another one. Anybody else? Anybody else? Amen. I see that hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I see that hand. I see that hand. Wow. I see that hand. I want you to keep that hand to Jesus. Not necessarily physically you can, but I'm I'm going to pray for you right now. But if you want to step out and come into this altar and you're saying, I need, I, need a, I need a supernatural visitation like the one that happened in this book to get me out of the situation I'm in. I want you to by faith. Or maybe you want to stand in the gap for somebody else. Maybe you know of somebody else that is in that situation and you want to step out and you want to say, I, I want right now to stand before God to let him know that I am serious about being free and that, Lord, I, I want others to know so they can pray for me too to be free free from this. Who would by faith step out and come to this altar and present yourself to Jesus? Amen. 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 Anybody? Anybody? those of you who lift your hand this morning I want you to lift it back I'm the only I'm, I got my eyes closed too everybody's got their eyes closed I want you to by faith to extend your hand and I believe right now that you're going to sense a power there's going to be a power in your mind and a power in your heart there's going to be a willpower that you've never had before In the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters who lifted their hand, who said, I need to be free. I am ready, Lord, to do what you've called me to do. I'm ready to be a man or woman of God. I am ready, Lord, to be a fisher of men. I am ready, Jesus, to to live and to walk in this gospel power that you have for my life, to go and to live, to pray, and to proclaim your gospel. So in the name of Jesus, Lord, I command those doors to be open. I 
command freedom for the life of your people today. And I thank you, God, because this is a prayer that I know that you are answering because you are the God who sets your people free. You are the God who sets us free from any prison, whether it's a prison somebody else put us in, whether it's a prison that I've walked into. But God, I know in the name of Jesus, you have set your people free because they have said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go, God. I'm not going to stop. Come on, say it. I'm going to go, Jesus. I'm not going to stop. All across this room, I'm going to go, and I'm not going to stop. I'm going to go, Jesus. I'm going to go. I'm going to reach my, I'm going to reach my city for Jesus. Riverstone Church is going to be a church that reaches its city for Jesus. And I'm going to be a part of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Guys, thank you. Thank you so much for praying those prayers with me this morning. These are the kind of prayers that I want to pray. This is the kind of life I want to live with you through this local body of believers. I have a big heart for the city. I want you to share that with me. And many of you already do because I know that God is going to use this church to reach the city. And we're going to go way beyond this church. We're going to plant other churches just like this all over the country and all over the world. And you and I are going to be a part of the biggest, biggest harvest of, of new believers that the world has history has ever seen. That's when you say hallelujah. <laughs> That's cool. We're going to be a part of that. I truly, genuinely believe that, that we are in the end days and you and I are going to be a part of that great, great move of God.